new on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. There he is. Files. Live. What's going on, guys? Person, the famous Tom Story. <laughs> I'm sorry to let you down. This is what it is. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, can you? Can you? Don't worry. I think we're we're the ones will will be disappointing you today. So don't worry. <laughs> if you well, if you don't mind we'll do signing of off, so we can get a real guest, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah, give me a give me a sec. I'll make some calls. Awesome. Yeah, you too. How's it going? It's going well. No complaints over here. Yeah, I mean, if, what you guys? If you're a realtor in Toronto right now, it's uh, it's good times. If you, you have know, some inventory. Think, yeah, you'd think if you had if you had the <laughs> listings. Yeah. Any any off market deals you got right now? <laughs> we actually, I got one last week off market, which worked out really well for a buyer. But it's 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 a war out there. It Sorry, uh, Daryl, is that the right screen that I put on? That is perfect. That is perfect. So uh, while we're already into it, let's get this yeah. ball rolling. Good morning, everybody. Good. All right. All right. Welcome, Tom. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Mr. Thanks for Tom. doing this. I don't know what. I don't know who's who's who. Daryl has hostage in your family for you to be able to you know get on the show today, but we appreciate it, and they will be returned safely about an hour after the show once the uh, the file clears. Once it is yeah, uploaded yeah. into YouTube, we will release your family. Be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, guys, I'm I'm happy to be here. I love I love chatting real estate, and what you guys are doing is awesome. So happy to be here. Awesome, cool, yeah. Thank you. We uh, we appreciate that comment. We uh, we try and do it a little differently. Uh, just if anybody is actually listening and Mister uh, isn't subscribed to Mister Tom Stories. Uh, um, YouTube channel. It's great. He does a very different style than us. He's very professional, very polished. Uh, you may have seen him on the telly. He uh, seems to be interviewed on CTV quite a bit. Um, and I'm not sure where else, but you do seem to be out there. And uh, I love your content. I love your videos. I'm a subscriber. That's how I found you. Uh, a lot of, lot of great stuff in there. Um, and you do a very polished, wonderful-looking show. So we, we're we're really happy to have you on here. Awesome, man! I appreciate that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I, yeah, we we try to look at what other people are doing and what other, especially Toronto people, right? Real estate-related yeah. podcasts or shows or channels, whatever. And we just kind of take a little bit from everybody and say that's good. You know, leave the rest, and uh, we've left. We, we're left with this mess. Claim it as our own. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Hey, that's yep. a good thing. You you share everything you know because then other people can take it and then make it better and then report back to you. That's what's so cool about about giving away everything you know. That's right. And, exactly. And to take what we know and make it better doesn't seem like a very tough feat, does it? Doesn't take long. No, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't take long. long. We're pretty much wrapping it up in an hour every week. Not much effort. <laughs> Not much effort, and it's a stretch. But uh, I, I, your last couple of videos were were great. I. Uh, I like the the uh, the top six Toronto um, video that you did. 
Thank uh, you. Obviously, you know, the, the, the worst thing about Toronto is definitely the weather here. Although this year hasn't been so bad. Fine, been yeah. All right. Been all right. Not that I've been outside much, but the great news at my house is that the rink is actually frozen and scalable. Oh. That's wow. awesome. It took a long time. And you know what? I don't advise it to anybody. It's a full-time job maintaining a rink. It's ridiculous. Did you, did you do for the like Zamboni? The, did you do like the full like package or you just do it from scratch and just throw water down with the tarp? I don't do very many things properly the first time. So I actually, I, I built myself a frame and I put down a tarp. The tarp initially was too small. I bought a new tarp. I filled it with water. <laughs> it emptied. I filled it again. It cracked. It, it has been a disaster. Partially froze. Partially froze, partially didn't freeze, too deep on one end. It is something that should be done by a professional or preferably not at all. But we got to skate on it yesterday. I bought my daughter some cool LED colorful lights so she can have a little disco party out there. And everybody is happy <laughs> until the thaw comes, which I hear could be next week. So anyways, it'll be short-lived. But it is Hopefully the thaw in the market is coming. That's what we're hoping for. Are you really? Absolutely. You like a market that's uh, that's going to be like this or what? I don't. Tell no. me why. This isn't this isn't good for anybody. Um, no. Unless you're exiting the market and you, you you win the lottery and you leave, that's that's good for you. Yeah. But anybody uh, buying and selling in a reasonably close distance to each other is just going to sell high and buy high. Like it's relative. Yep. So you're not really winning, right? It adds stress. It adds um, obstacles, creates more problems than it solves. Money's great. But yeah, if you got to go buy somewhere, really, what are you gaining? And, and you know what, too? I think obviously the issue to start this year, and I think we have to remind ourselves like every year in January, there's no inventory. This isn't new. It's just there hasn't been this much demand at the same time. That's what's, I think, different this year. And the issue is like, I can tell you right now, we have 15 listings lined up ready for the market, waiting on them to buy first. Mm -hmm. So it's a domino thing. And I know a lot of other realtors I'm talking to, they have the inventory coming, but yep. those people need to buy. And yep. when they're one of 15 offers on a house, it just keeps pushing it back and back. And that's what I think is happening right now. And these people yeah. that are waiting to buy, what are they, are they waiting to buy? Single family houses, townhouses, condos? What is it? A mix of everything? Right now, what we're seeing on our side of things is a lot of people is the condo trade up buyer to the freehold town or the semi detached or detached property, seeing a lot of that. And we're advising them, listen, buy first because it's super competitive. Um, that's what no you should be doing. selling, right? Exactly. And, and because the condo market has bounced back. And that's another topic we can dive really deep into. Um, mm -hmm. But like, it's like something switched when the, when the year changed because. Uh, we, we, last year at one point, I think I had 20 condo listings and I was, it was like every day I was giving people bad news. Okay. Well, the last one sold and this is now what we're worth. And the analogy we were using for our sellers was, you know, let's say in, in a NASCAR race in the, in the last five laps, the chances of you winning that race, if you're not in the, in the top five race cars are slim to none. So we were looking at our condo listings saying like, listen, if we're not, if we're not one of the best five available, we're not mm -hmm. selling. Yeah. And okay. I like and, that. Yeah, it was really interesting. And now it's like 
they're all selling like crazy again. Well, in your, yeah. in your last video, you were giving advice to people, maybe not so much advice, but I mean, it, it, it makes sense. It's a little scary, but like you, you almost have to be ready to go firm, right? Yeah, you have to be ready to go firm. <laughs> and I think as an industry, we do such a terrible job kind of educating people before we ever go out and view properties. And I think that's something everyone needs to get better at. Like no one should be stepping foot inside a house until they've had like a 45 minute to an hour consultation going over like everything that could happen. Like they need to know the numbers. They need to understand what's going on because going in firm doesn't mean you go in blind. It just means you're doing your homework before instead of after. It's such a refreshing attitude. And I mean, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, you're younger than me. But I mean, it takes a, a different point of view than, than the old school guys to even say something like that, because most realtors, they don't want to do all that work for a buyer prior to them even walking into the house. Like that's a lot of work, right? You know, it's so funny, though, on the flip side, if you have that hour conversation and get them pre-qualified for the mortgage, set that up, show them what the months of inventory is, the list versus sale price ratio, go over all the closing costs, like you're literally just putting all their ducks in a row for them and explaining everything. Uh, it's going to take you a lot less time to actually sell them a property because they're properly educated, where if you don't do that and just meet them, you're going to be running around and the, the line that I tell every new buyer we talk to is buying real estate is on the list of top 10 most exciting things you're going to do in life. It's also on the list of like, holy shit, the like this is nerve, this is scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and if you don't know anything and you step foot inside a property and you love it, there's a million things that are going to go through your mind when you want to make an offer and you're going to be so scatterbrained. We'd rather have people like calculated because I think that's that's a competitive advantage, especially in a market like this. Now, let me let me give the reality here just because you and I are working in the market and Daryl's not. Let me, sure. This is just the reality. This is not me. This is not my opinion. And I don't think it's right. The people who are getting the houses today in a lot of these multiple offers are the ones who did the least amount of preparation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah They're absolutely. the ones who have no clue what they've just got themselves into. They just won the multiple offer. I don't know. I won though. What did I win? And you're like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. That's yeah. who gets the houses right now. So. You're absolutely right. And what we try to tell people is sometimes losing on a house is not, is not a loss. It's a win because yeah. someone that's uneducated paid too much. And we also have to remember if this is the first house you're bidding on, it might be house number five for them. And they're at the point of like, I want this house. Emotion, I'm, stress. I'm going to get yeah. this house. And yeah. you have to understand what you're up against. And yeah, you're right. A lot of the times the uneducated buyer wins and and what's so tough in this market is that that then sets the benchmark you want that that condo building or that street that's now the last sale and the next sale is probably going to go higher so at what mm -hmm. point are you the irrational buyer just because you want something it's a tough conversation yeah i think it's uh, it's absolutely amazing did you did you read about the house in mississauga that had 70 offers I feel like I didn't hear that specific one, but I feel like this story happens. We can do this all day long. Months, we right? had 56 yeah. this week, 50, uh, yes. 350 50, showings. 70. It's, yeah. it's un friggin yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. These stories are all over the place right now. No, it's, um, it's the market. It's crazy. So, so but tell yeah. me, like, what, what has to happen for, for supply to catch up with demand now? Let's hear it, Tom. I don't think it can. It can't. Tell, tell us a scenario. Give us some hope. So, Give us a scenario that's plausible that could I'll, work out to making I'll, this market come back I'll to balance. Tell you my favorite quote, and I'm totally stealing this. If you guys want to get him on the podcast, you should talk to him. His name's Keith Roy. He's from Vancouver. He's a very smart realtor. 
and and he says this everybody believes in affordable housing until it comes time to sell their own property mm, i like that okay say so that again say that again so everyone believes in the idea of affordable housing until it comes time to sell their own property oh, sure yeah okay hey, so try I being mean, a the, developer right <laughs> so you know the reality is 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 the supply and demand is is what's pushing the market how much inventory and how and the absorption rate of how fast it's coming off the market but mm -hmm. the the only like what's pushing the market as well right now and i think we have to kind of discuss this is like the mortgage rates are silly low and they're not going to be silly low forever probably for the next two years but not forever like the the bank of canada lending rate went from 1.75 before covid to now 0 0.25 well hold that, on a second. that's pushing a lot of this the the lending rate has actually been silly low since I've been in the market, which is over 20 years, right? Like when I right. bought my first house, I bought it at a mortgage of 3.86%, which I mean, maybe compared to today is ridiculously high. But in reality, to borrow money, that's, that's crazy low. Crazy yeah. low. So I mean, and we I think we talked about it last week or the week before. Like, I mean, how fast can they move interest rates up? How long will it take to get back up to 3%? Well, they have to move it very slowly. They have to be calculated with it or they're going to cause issues for a lot of people. And I think they're and, well and this, aware of that. The stress test has already been trying to mitigate, you know, some of that impact. So let's just say if they do and they remove the stress test, it may not have an impact on the demand. So, so it's like, does it have to go up to 7%? Does it have to go to eight percent? I don't think interest rates are as big of a story. I think they're 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 huge, and they're obviously what people are you know basing their decisions off of. But I think Daryl's right. I don't think the interest rates are going to climb up high enough or fast enough to make a change, to make a change in what people's yeah. buying power is. They can't without crushing the whole system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the reality is, is I don't know if there's an answer to this because this happens every like if you look at a 40-year chart of toronto and i'm happy to send you guys the one that i have it's really interesting through all the ups and all the downs 1980 till today we've averaged about six and a half percent appreciation averaged so we've got so, this article up on the screen i don't know if you can see it bewildering graphic hmm. shows how much toronto's real estate market has changed in 10 years like forget about 20 30 40 mm -hmm. and they've yeah. got this uh, 10's been Last ten's been crazy. Like, look at this uh, detached home: four hundred fifty thousand to one point two four on average. That's triple mm -hmm. in ten years. It's crazy. Semi-detached: three sixty to to eight thirty. Holy yeah, man! Two and a half right? times. Like a condo has gone up more than two times in ten years. So, so I mean, it, is there an end in sight for for this with low interest rates? high demand, low inventory. I mean, I can call up article after article from this week that are showing, you know, the prices are going crazy, the buyers are paying extra, the, the, the single, like new, new homes are selling like crazy. And uh, you, read, you read that uh, from Build saying, B-I-L-D, Build, the, the builders, whatever the hell that's, that's yeah, yeah. for. Um, but they're saying that normally they have nine, 10 months of inventory of new product, and now they have three or four months, which you spoke to in your last video. So why don't you talk about that for, for a sec? For the, for the inventory levels? Yeah, just like, yeah. what is it? Sales to, to inventory? Yeah, so, 
what any buyer or seller should should figure out before they get going on the process is is any market you're in, I use the Toronto Real Estate Board stats, the Treb Market Watch that comes out every single month. That's where I pull my numbers from. Um, and, and so let's say you want to buy a condo in downtown Toronto. So I would go to condo C01 and I would look at those numbers. Um, then what I would do is I would go, okay, now we're, we're going to base off December's numbers right now because that's the most active data we have. There was this many actively on the market at the end of the month and and this many actually sold. So active listings divided by sales gives you a number, which is the inventory level. And anything under the number three is a seller's market, meaning that if no new listings came on the market today, everything would sell in, in uh, three months. That's currently on the market, if it was three, right? If nothing new came, that's the absorption of how quick it's moving. It also means that ev for every three listings that comes to the market, one of them is selling in, every, in, in a 30-day period, but two are not. Which, nice. is, which is crazy to go from nine, 10 months to, to three or four for, for new home sales, which is condos, town, like everything new. But that, that's, mm -hmm. if you mix that with the fact that we came into the pandemic with a shortfall of housing, right? We were talking housing crisis and rental crisis, like it was a crisis. Then, then we had a pause, then things went bananas and like, I just don't see an end in sight. Like I, and then on top of it, like Bank of Canada says they're going to hold these rates till 2023, right? And now we're in lockdown number two. They're supposed to bring in 410,000 immigrants this year, and they can't even bring any in at least for another couple of months, right? Yeah, that, tar that target won't be hit. So I think, I think on the supply side, and these are all super hypothetical, and I, and I definitely don't think they're going to happen, but I think on the supply side, a, a scenario would be, obviously everybody right now, no one wants people in their house. I, I have a lot of sellers who are not buying and who are selling only, and they're refusing to put their house on the market right now because they're older, they've got yeah. vulnerabilities, they're thinking, I can't do it, I just don't want to deal with the stress, and I'm okay with listing in the spring, and I want to do this all when COVID is done. I have so many people who are just not reading the writing on the wall. I know, but that's the scenario that they're in. I think that there will be people who are going to hit financial hard times, financial hardships. I think that there's, there's more. We just haven't seen that yet. I don't know what level it's going to get to. I don't think it's going to be drastic, but I think that there's going to be a significant amount of people who are forced to sell their principal residences because of their businesses failing, their jobs not being able to be, uh, you know, they can't go back to work after the work from home, whatever it is. Um, and I think that there's going to be perhaps some government intervention. So again, not all likely, I'm not like, hey, this is what's going to happen, yeah. but it's certainly plausible. They did it in 2017. The, the, the ideas are, you know, um, Principal residence exemptions no longer being offered. The ideas are, you know, stricter lending guidelines. Uh, the ideas are changes to the capital gains tax. Like these are all things that are thrown out there, and I think that any one, all three of those things could be a perfect storm of a flood of inventory, which could hopefully solve the issue that we have right now. But I just hope something changes. But, this is brutal. But then you, you have know? articles like this that say the mortgage deferrals fall sharply since worst day of, of COVID, many resume payments. I mean, it's not even many. It's like basically all. I think it went from 17% of the, the portfolios being in some form of deferral to 0.8% now in deferral. Like that, that doesn't speak to, I mean, 
I would believe what you say over any article that I read, but I mean, the, the, the deferral cliff's not here. All they talk about in these articles is that the people that are affected most are the renters, right? People with, you know, that own a house for the most part aren't really affected. And even if they are, I mean, in this kind of a market where you have 70, 56, 40 offers and the prices are going bananas, those people that were maybe on the verge of bankruptcy now all of a sudden have more equity in their home, right? Because the price just went up. And also, so you mentioned 2017 with fair housing stress test, uh, and then, or sorry, stress test was early 18, but like that, that um, rent control at the same time when they came with yeah, fair housing, tax, yeah. it's almost like the government likes to come in when things are going too good, when they're going up too fast, never so much when they're not going so great. So you're right. Like how this year has started, you could compare it to the beginning of 2017 because 2017 from January till till April 20th, when they made that announcement, the market went up 26%. That's not okay. Like, and mm -hmm. I actually think fair housing did a lot of good. Um, a lot For of sure. people, it didn't really, it didn't affect condos, uh, at least in Toronto, um, it affected the suburb markets that were going crazy and actually York region. Yeah. York, like, so yeah, right Durham. now, Durham, there's much all, then, but, but York region, big time. That one, they're that, doing way better than Toronto in terms yeah. of what's going on. Like, mm -hmm. Uh, the one thing that I, I always say when I'm on the news, cause it's my favorite thing is like, you drive till you qualify. That's what people, <laughs> I like that. but now people are going to start heading back to the city and be like, it's crazy out here. Like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to head back because exactly. like, Toronto is competitive and busy and things are going nuts again, but not like what's happening on oh, in the suburb. It's crazy. I, I have a friend who sells many, many, many condos and he was telling me they just had a launch last week in Bowmanville and on day one they had mm, 350 worksheets okay like yeah. in Bowmanville first of all they're building mid-rise buildings in Bowmanville now which is just crazy in and of itself but the fact that they got 350 worksheets in one day in Bowmanville really speaks volumes to the amount of demand out there right now and the lack of supply <laughs> You know, what's interesting with condos is I don't like condos do really well in Toronto and Vancouver, but they do terrible in Halifax and Edmonton and Calgary and other markets across Canada. I don't think people love condos. I think like it's just that our freehold option is not affordable. So people have to it's like you either buy a condo or you rent or in the investment side of things. That's why people love condos because they know they'll rent out. But I, I think they're just they're they're priced well compared to everything else and they're located well. Limited options, right? So three hundred thousand, high three hundred thousands, the one in, in the ones in Bowmanville are starting at. Where else are you going to get a condo oh, at that and price? If you're so retiring and you live in Bowmanville and you have an acre and a half that is now worth God knows what, like what, like what else are you going to do? Like very like, few of those people filled out worksheets. Well, but like 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 you guys were saying at the beginning of the show, like you also have to buy something else, right? Not too many people are smart enough to take their chips off the table and rent something until they're, they're done, right? Let's talk, let's talk about that. I think, Tom, you said, buy first, your clients right now, that's your advice, it's stressful. You're in a situation where you don't know if you're gonna get a house, if you end up selling, and then you don't find a property, the market goes up, big risk there, right? Yeah. So we, we play worst case scenario with our clients to get them prepped Good. for everything. Right. So it's like, right uh, you know, my, my main scenario right now is we are selling their condos where I'm listing their condos and they're buying a house. That's my main scenario right now. So, um, I want you to buy the house first, uh, secure it, 
it's you're ready to go, right? We'll be pre-approved on everything based on the sale of the condo. And we always send whatever the condo price is very conservative to the mortgage broker to get the pre-approval on the house. Cause I typically lower than I actually think I can sell for just to be safe. Um, then we, then we run the scenario like, okay, I could sell your place first, but if we sell it and then it takes three months to buy, cause it's competitive, the prices keep going. So you're farther behind, which is exactly what you said, where I'd rather them buy first then we can get the condo prepped and on the market very quickly. And the good thing now is that condos are moving again pretty fast. So we can probably line up the closings. Even if we can't perfectly line up the closings, what would happen if you had to live somewhere else for a week? Do you have somewhere that you could go? And if the answer is no, are you open to the idea of bridge financing? But we can only get bridge financing if we have a firm sale on the condo. So I just run the scenarios of like, are you going to be homeless if this doesn't work out? And if the answer is yes, okay, let's, let's rethink this. But I just don't want there to be surprises because there's, you know, the one thing we tell all of our clients is if you go through a real estate transaction and there's nothing that comes up along the way, be very nervous because the day before closing, something's going to hit the fan, right? Like you want little hurdles, but you don't want big things to happen. So, so, so my question is, and this is, again, you, you said play worst case scenario. It's exactly what you have to do. And I ask people, and this, it's, it's crude, but to me, it, it, it serves a purpose. Would you, you have two options here. You can either be broke or you can be homeless. Which one scares you most? Right. And if they say, well, look, I, you know, I got, you know, my dogs, I got, you know, my mom taken care of. I can't be homeless. I have to make sure I have a place to go and I don't want to, I don't want to have any um, uh, issues that could go up. It's like, okay, well, if you end up selling first, there's a chance you could be homeless. You might have to rent. There might have to be temporary stuff. So maybe buying first would be a good option for you. Right. If they say, well, look, financing is really tight. And I want to make sure that, you know, the money's right and I'm not going to be in a position or anything like that. Well, then maybe you need to sell first to figure out exactly how much money you're going to have. So you're going to know your buying power and see where your, you know, your situation is going to be. But people, I'm not predicting the market, but I can tell you that this market is not sustainable. I can tell you that it's not percent that we will not continue to do this. And most of the people I'm dealing with are selling houses, buying a house or a condo. So looking at selling first for a lot of people is actually a great option. And in 2017, we were doing rent back. So sell, close in 30 days, do a six month rent back. Um, Cause you do not want to sell with a six month closing right now and find out that your buyer can't sell their property for what they thought they could. Now they can't get financing and their appraisal is not going to come in and you're going back on the market in six months, getting $200,000 less because there's no multiple offers anymore. Like there's a ton of risk we learned from 2017 and this market is identical. So it would be foolish for me to think that it couldn't happen. I'm not saying it's likely, but I have to like really tell people this because a lot of people will blindly tell their clients, well, just go sell your, sell your property. We're going to get a ton of money. I'm going to get you all these offers and don't worry. He gave me a $50,000 deposit. We're good. Are you? Are you going to get the money on closing? You're going to make this other decision to buy something else. Are you going to get the money on closing? Do you know that for sure? I can give you lots of cases in the courts where people didn't in these markets exactly just like this. So, but what, yeah, something what, switches between when they sold and you know if something happens, if, gov- if government steps in, that could happen. Right. So, so the only things that have slowed this market in the last I don't even know how many years have been weird outside influences like Wall Street melting down in 2007, 8, 9, whenever that was, right? The, 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 the government here bringing in the stress test, which really didn't have that big an effect. I mean, it had a little effect. What, what happens here it generally is like things from outside slow the market down 
we figure out how to absorb them and then we go back to the moon, right? So I, I, listen, I'm no genius, but if you look at this analytically, other than some weird, like even a pandemic that basically shut down the world did not really slow down the Toronto real estate market. Like I've been a big proponent in the last few weeks of a 905 land transfer tax to help boost the government's uh, uh, bank account. But interesting. But, but that that's two percent more. Like, the, what effect is that even going to have? Right? Prices are going up more than two percent, like every month right now or week. Right. So so what actually can happen with this housing shortage crisis? low interest rates, huge demand, no supply, and at some point soon, a flood of immigration that we've never seen since World War II. Daryl, what you just said, if podcasts were a thing 15 years ago, the same conversation was happening. Exactly. Right? That's like my this, point. So nothing's you changed. You like, can't stop this market. You cannot. I, I used to be in the lumber industry when I was a very, very young man 25 years ago. Okay. I was in the lumber industry and we used to say, this is crazy. Like, how? when is this going to stop? And, and I worked there for eight years and it just got crazier and crazier and the, you know what stopped it for a brief moment 9-11 okay 9-11 gave it a pause and, and and then it just it went back to mars right and then i don't know what happened next but it again a pause probably the wall street meltdown pause to the moon again right and then it's, I don't know, we'll have this conversation forever because we're in this wonderful melting pot of like the government knows real estate is their, is their only, only answer to anything. It drives the entire economy. It's the only thing that's stable and they, they push everybody towards it, right? I've got an, <clears throat> an article here that's amazing. While the world is in the midst of tech revolution, Canadians bet on real estate. <laughs> Which is amazing because we're, we're, we're spending, I think it's 38% of the investment has gone into real estate in the last year versus 27% going into manufacturing or tech that will help create better businesses to create more wealth. Like everybody is going, you know what, if I just buy a house and I borrow money at this ridiculous interest rate and I just sit here, I'm going to be a millionaire. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're right. And it's all over North America. So, so but we are not going through this alone. This is in every single city, world, province, state, country, freehold, low rise. All that right now is on fire everywhere and they can't keep up. So but while you guys say it's unsustainable from the realtor perspective <clears throat> and maybe somewhat of an injection of realism, I, I don't see it without some pauses, but like really a pause that resets the pricing five to 10% and three months later is higher than that reduction. Like, is that even a pause? Like, is that a reset? Like, what is that? It's a good question. It, yeah, you're right. It always comes back. Whatever, whatever they do, whether it's government intervention or outside forces, like you talked about, there's always a pause of uncertainty. And then, and then we kind of just get back to things and then it jumps back up. And it's not yeah. a long pause. 
right? I mean, look how long you guys well, let's, took hold to on, figure out how Darryl, to sell houses again. Daryl, 1990 to 2002. That was 12 years before prices came back. Average price in Toronto. That's a long time. What happened in 1990? In 1990, interest rates had climbed. Uh, they, they had that um, big lending institution in, in the States that uh, caused you know major meltdown and then economic recession. And then prices basically stayed where they were. Inflation got back on track. Interest rates lowered until 2002 um, after the dot-com dot bubble and everything else settled. People said, I think we're in the clear. And then prices started going up again and finally hit their average price. My mom sold, bought her house in... 1986 and sold it in 2002 for the same price right so that goes back to what we talked about what did the interest rates go to because it will take something like that like interest rates jumping to seven percent all of a sudden because they want to squash the market right it's going to take mm -hmm. something monumentous like that again i think so the example you just gave is perfect because that's really the only crash that we've seen in the last long time right and mm -hmm. There's three pillars of, of what fundamentally moves the real estate market. There is interest rates, there is unemployment level, and there is immigration. Those are the big three. When that happened, all three weren't doing so good. Immigration wasn't crazy, interest rates were high, and unemployment wasn't great. Now, all three are really strong or going to be strong with the like the fact that market's moving the way it is now and we don't even have real immigration. Like the. Crazy. I'm sure you guys know who Benjamin Tal is. He's the chief economist for, for CIBC. I've seen him speak many times. He spoke, yeah. speaks with our company and he always says, he's like, you think prices are expensive now? Just wait, like, wait, wait till everyone comes in. Wait till the borders open. Just wait. Mm -hmm. I, so I, I saw something yesterday, a YouTube video, I think it was, that said that 40% uh, of the US dollars in circulation were printed last year. <laughs> so like how... I mean, there's definitely inflation. There's there's another guy I listen to on YouTube, uh, Steve Soretsky out of Vancouver. Um, really smart realtor. I think he's more of an economist, if you ask me, than a realtor. But he says the same thing. Like, there, there's so much money printing. Like, maybe you don't feel like there's inflation, but if you own an asset or are looking to buy an asset, you see that there's definitely inflation. Like, mm -hmm. rampant, right? I mean, try and mm -hmm. buy a stock of tesla even in these small secondary markets that typically have no inflation whatsoever even they like two years some of the prices are doubling right and you're just like how is this possible like windsor is a good example of in the southern ontario kind of scene right obviously but um even in other parts northern ontario small towns all throughout uh canada uh, in the States, we were on like a, a mastermind, uh, I guess it's a couple of weeks ago now. And we're hearing just what other people were dealing with in like big and small towns across the States. And everyone's got the same thing. They're just like price increases are crazy. Like, no, like it's like, we've never seen this before and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, inflation is real. I think prices are, are just going up. It's just, when I say sustainable Daryl, uh, I'm not saying like, I think prices are going to come down and all of a sudden we're going to face this drastic whatever. I just feel like the reason that certain sales are hitting these high prices is because of 70 offers and all that kind of stuff too. And maybe that those are outliers. And I think that overall, this, this attraction of buyers, so let's just say someone gets $800,000 for a house in, in Oshawa and then six months from now, there's less buyers out there. There's more sellers. It's a more balanced market. They do the same strategy at 600. They only sell it for 650. Did the market go down 150,000? No, 
It's just that particular market when that first property was sold was a little bit overheated and that created that one price to be sold. And we just, we saw that in 2017 and Tom, you're seeing it still to this day. You'll see a property. Why are they priced so high? Why are they still available? Let me do my background. Oh, they bought in 2017, February for $400,000 over asking on a bully offer. And now they're trying to get out because the use of the property isn't what they thought it was because they did no research whatsoever. They're selling with a different agent than they bought with. Obviously I'm seeing this all the time. So it does exist. And that, so the, the price growth that we saw in 2017, um, especially in Durham. And again, I'm a 416 guy. That's where I do all my business. But from what I saw, my aunt sold in 2017, did crazy on her house. I think it took basically until very recently for those uh, peak prices to actually get back. Is that fair to say? Like, so it did take a few years. Like what the government did worked last time, um, depending on what side you're on and how you look at it, but it did work. For sure. York region, a lot of areas are nowhere close to that level still. Okay. So you start going up to uh, like further away, King, East Gwillimbury, whatever, those areas that are way out there that people were just speculating were just like 10 acres for $2 million. That's a great deal. Because Toronto's back in every asset class to what the peak was in 2017 and condos. I think it was quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it was over a year ago, like every, every area. Exactly. Condos. You know, I, I, so you're, you're big into condos and I'm not. So it's like at the time it was like, um, we're, so Daryl, we're, we're uh, the sale prices of houses. It's hard to sell 18 beginning in 19. It's like everything's sitting. It's hard to sell price changes. Things are not going well. End of 2017. It was brutal. And I'm seeing all these condo people do really well and they're all still selling and multiple offers. And you're kind of jealous. You're like, man, should have been in the condo game. And for the last, I guess, you know, in 2020, it was like the one moment where the freehold agents are all like, ha ha ha, condo agents. <laughs> now you know what it's like. You have to deal with the same thing that we dealt with. And they're already out of the woods. They're already back onto this trajectory. 2021 condos are starting to sell again. And I think things will be okay. You know, can I tell you a quick story just about last year with condos? So I didn't mean to specialize in condos, but for 2020, for CO1 and CO8 downtown core, our team ranked number three for resale condos in Toronto. So we we did nice. a good amount. Yeah, and good for you. So just, I just say that not to be like, look at me. It's just because like we did enough to understand fundamentally what's actually happening and where people were at and what the mindsets were. For sure. And I found more, I took over more market share last year than I ever had before when times were not great. And time and time again, people would reach out and be like, hey, I know you specialize in this. I need your help. It's not like, hey, my brother's best friend's girlfriend's aunt is a realtor and she's just going to put it on. Like people really wanted a professional and it was a great time for me to like put the foot down on the gas pedal. And we had our best year ever for condo sales last year in the worst condo market we've had in 10 years. So it's just interesting because of of your reputation. So that's exactly how it works. Good markets, 2017. And right now people are going with the discount brokers, their brothers, their sisters, their family members, people who they have no idea if they've ever even sold a house, but they're like, oh, it's got to be easy. And they're leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. When the markets turn, they have to go to professionals like you and say, I don't want to take any chances. I heard it's not doing too well. I better go and talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and they don't even think about talking to their uncle who just got their license or whatever. So yeah, you're right. That's um, that's good. And so hopefully you've built up a lot more uh, market share, like you said, and that can carry on. 
because that is that is exactly what people do in these markets. And are you focused more on the listings or are you working with buyers? Because you were talking earlier about how you would deal with a buyer, which is very refreshing. Most people tend to shy away from buyers. I think everybody has this saying like, uh, what is it? List to Buyer. live to list or die. Oh, buyers are liars. To last. <laughs> Li yeah, list to last. Like, yeah. So that is that is a reality. Like, I run a team, and my job on the team, I am I'm the listing specialist. So that is where I spend my time. Um, however, on the buying side of things, I do the consultations and I help with the offers, but I'm not the one physically going out and viewing the properties. Um, I have team members that specialize in that and truthfully are better than me at it. And, and so we've really kind of figured out which lane we want to be in. Um, so that's, that's the way we run it. But the reality is buyers take eight times longer than sellers. So just as a strictly business, I, I understand why people say list to last yeah. because they produce more opportunities. You get to meet more buyers, you get better marketing opportunities and the listing agent, if there's 40 offers, the listing agents, one of two sides getting, getting paid and one of the 40 of buyer's agents, right? So it's just simple math that most yeah. big time agents that hold market share are listing focused and have a team that helps with the buyers that keeps in the family. This, this is what I was always told is that if I want to um, make money in real estate and I want to like spend more time with my family, I got to get the listings because when I get a listing, at the time, it was about 30,000. I have 30,000 agents in the Toronto Real Estate Board. Now it'd be 60. 30,000 agents in the Toronto Real Estate Board working for me, trying to sell my listing. So I'm on the golf course. I'm at the birthday parties. I'm doing whatever it is. And all the other agents in Toronto are working for me to try to get that listing sold. But I think that there's some huge value in the bigger teams. They understand that buyers are super important because they are also sellers. And that there's a big shift in the last... Uh, five to 10 years in direct marketing to buyers, buying leads, all that kind of stuff, getting more and more and more opportunities to convert people who eventually will be sellers or maybe already be sellers once they find the place to buy. I don't want to go to, down a rabbit hole of this, but it's just the one thing I'll say is... is we like rabbit holes. Okay. okay so uh, most people uh, that are in the real estate um, space, selling properties, being a realtor. They're worried about all these outside factors, discount brokerages, Zillow, blah, 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 online legions. Who you should be worried about is the mega team. They're the real disruptor. They, they're actually the ones taking over market share. They're the ones. Like, take a look around. And, and to do a listing presentation, you and you got a great little presentation, it's just you by yourself versus whoever in your market it's really hard to compete with their resources. So I think, yeah, like the mega team is the, is the real disruptor in the industry. It's not the discount. There broker. will always be. So if, if, you, if you just look at market share, just so, just so we are aware of this, the market share of the teams, it's very small in Toronto. It's growing. Yeah. But like, let's just, the top 100 teams, okay? Let's say they're all doing 200 transactions. That's 20,000, right? Mm -hmm. That's still only 20% of the business because there's 100,000 transactions in the Toronto Real Estate Board. So they're growing, but it's still a very, 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 and that's, the, there's not even the top 100 teams doing 200 transactions. I think it would be less than that if you average it out. But either way, um, that's still only 20%. So there's still a business. I don't want to deter people from getting their license. No, not at all. Be a single agent. You can do your 30 deals a year and, and be super successful, make a great living and, and, and enjoy your life. But you're right. Tom, that's uh, it's hard to compete with somebody who's spending a lot of money on their marketing. And I'm, 
I, you know, we won't get into specifics, but I, I actually know. like that though, because what it shows you is there's still 80% of the pie left, if not more than that. Exactly. And what it shows you is most people, the realtor they pick is someone they were referred to or somebody that they trust. Like exactly. it's not because of the billboards. It's, 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 a, it's many factors, but it's not just that one. Like people always think I get a bunch of business cause I go on the news. I hardly, I could maybe five deals in the past five years. That's yeah. not how I get my business. It's from repeat and referral and treating people like gold. It's not from marketing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So Seems like of, you do a good job. Of rabbit holes, I want to I wanna bring <laughs> this up. I know from a realtor's perspective, what obviously makes sense from a business perspective, but rent versus own, especially right now in the city of Toronto. It, I mean, owning, listen, my business is to sell people lots of stuff to own. Okay, so I don't benefit at all from saying this whatsoever, but I don't understand the economics of owning right now versus renting. Like, what, it seems to me you can be a lot freer on this planet where things change so drastically. You can have your equity available. It can do other things for you outside of your condo. Um, by just renting, you can you can probably live in a nicer place, a bigger place if you rent. Anyways, can I can we have this discussion? Because I, never I put it I put it up <laughs> earlier. We didn't get to it because you guys went down some much much more interesting topics. But Toronto condo buyers are paying an eighty seven percent premium to own instead of rent, and I I've been doing the math for years. Like, it doesn't make sense to me to own right now. It makes a lot of sense to rent, but I'd love to hear both of your opinions. First, Tom's, because I'm sure I know TK's already. But let, <laughs> let, let's take this from a non-realtor making sure. money off the market perspective. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yep. Okay, so first of all, there's nothing wrong with renting. It's a lifestyle choice, and you will get a better place, and you have more flexibility, and, and the rental prices are down 20% right now in Toronto, so there's lots of great options for you. Like, for, to be very clear on that. And most people get into the market and figure out, especially if they're new, they rent for a year before they get in and buy something because they want to know if they actually like it and they want to know if they like the area and things like that. The, the one thing that I always look at is, okay, let, if you had the down payment, because the difference from renting to buying for most people is having the down payment. If you had the down payment and you rented, if that money's just going to sit in your bank and do nothing, like if you're a whiz in the stock market, by all means, go do your thing and make a great return there. And that would probably make sense for a lot of people to rent, right? Um, but no matter how cheap your rent is, it's 100% interest. That's just a fact. It's just a fact. So on the owning side of things, I don't think this is a blanket statement across the world, but in our market, if we just talked about where prices have gone the past 10 years, the past 40 years. If we know and conservatively say, let's, let's say they go up 3%, a really low number. And the way that mortgages work, especially at the rates they are today, is that 60% of your payment every month in the first five years, which is very interest heavy, is still principal payment. So that's a forced savings plan. And then on top of that, if you put down 20%, the bank's lending you the other 80%. And you're earning 3% on the money you're borrowing from them at 1.5%. So that's, that's the way that I look at it, is that I think if you want, if you want your dream house, it certainly is not the first property you're buying. So you got to buy the first property that you might not aesthetically love, 
But in three to five years, you're going to love what it does for you that you jump up to the next one. And then you jump up to the next one. That's the only path I see because it's really hard to save at the same rate the market's moving if you're not in the market because you're not leveraging the bank's money and you're not doing a forced savings plan that turns into equity. So that's just my thought on it. So now before TK jumps in, um, I don't know if you guys have read Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, you may or you may have not. doesn't even matter. It, for me, it changed the way I look at things. Uh, like, flip me on my ass. Um, and I just want to throw this into it. Does it make sense to buy something to rent to other people, which that income then covers your expenses to rent something you like or even covers your mortgage payment every month on a house you want to live in? Like... To me, that seems like it would make a lot more sense to, to get that growth, to buy, to use that, that down payment you have to buy something that generates more money. So Robert Kiyosaki's whole thing is like an asset feeds you and a liability bleeds you, right? So for example, you buy a house, you're paying interest, you're paying taxes, you're paying maintenance, you're paying insurance, you're paying all these things. Then shit breaks down all the time and you got to fix the roof and you got the windows leak and, and the air conditioning breaks down and all of these things, they start to add up, add up. Now, if you buy something and you rent it to somebody, now you have income generated to pay for maybe something else that you want or, or, or maybe more than you could have afforded a couple of years ago. It takes a little bit more patience, but sorry, I wanted to throw that into the mix there. I'll, I'll agree with both of you guys. Like, and I'll just say it simply, poor people buy houses and most people are poor. So if you can't be diligent, like Tom is saying, and be a whiz in the stock market and save your money and do things over the next 30 years to ensure you're constantly beating inflation, beating the housing market, putting that money aside, saving it, and you're on top of things, and you're, you're not going to touch that money. You're going to have less money at the end than if you just buy Put your feet up, work your nine to five and save that money and ride the market, pay off the principal. And in the end, you will have more money than you would if you tried to come up with some creative financing ideas, if you didn't know what you were talking about and had the wrong mindset. So both of you guys are right. It's just Daryl, your, your group of people who right could do that all. is just a I'm much just... smaller part of the, of the, well, fun. Robert Kiyosaki is right. But that segment of the population is much smaller and the majority of people needs to go into home ownership, like Tom is saying, in order to be able to have those benefits of why we buy houses and the claims of what renting sense. would give. The, the, for me, I mean, listen, it's not a right or wrong or me versus Tom's opinion. It, it's, I mean, I see a trend shifting. I mean, you guys must see it that home ownership is becoming less of a percentage versus rental in the city right now, mainly out of necessity because prices are so far out of reach for most people. But I mean... But if you lived in New, I think it's a mindset thing here in, in, in Canada or in Toronto. Like it's, it's like, it's the smart thing to do. But if you lived in London, UK, or if you lived in Tokyo, or if you lived in New York, like especially New York, I mean, fuck, people are paying 10 grand a month in New York. I mean, you could afford a really nice place to own and pay interest and blah, blah, blah. But the mindset's different there. Like it's, it's more okay to do it. So is that a factor here? You know what I've seen? So I'm 29 years old and my parents, what they made on their house when they sold it and all my friends' parents, we've seen the benefit of home ownership from 
our parents and our grandparents. So we've seen it. And I think that plays a part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I don't know. And I think in those other cities you mentioned, everyone knows Toronto's expensive. It ain't co expensive compared to the cities you mentioned, right? So it's like the gap is further in those cities. So I think it's just a reality of like, yeah, you live in New York, you rent. Because yeah. you only buy if you're like wealthy. Where Toronto, you can still buy without being wealthy. Um, so it's a, I don't know what the answer is. But. So, so Can Canadian home ownership rates are dropping. I couldn't find the article. They're, it's slightly dropping. So people obviously, for whatever reason, less people are owning homes than they were before. And they're, they're still, we're still ahead of all the other, uh, you know, uh, developed countries and stuff like that. This is what I want to know from you, Tom. I'm finding that people who are younger right now are being more conscious of their investments, their saving, their spending habits, how they're, how they're going to retire, how to not work that full-time job and have these side hustles. Like I'm seeing this huge explosion of people and they're all really, really young that didn't exist when I was 20 years old. Is that something that's going to change home ownership? It's interesting. Like the, the way that I look at it, because what you just explained is the group of millennials that want their passive income to exceed their lifestyle, right? So that you never have to work for something. You're doing things because mm -hmm. you want to, because you have the money coming in. And how do you build passive income? Well, you own real estate because over time, then the rents go higher and you own more equity and, and that can build your wealth long-term. Like that's a conversation I actually have all the time with my other friends that are realtors in my age group. I'm like, I don't care, you know, if you have a great year selling real estate, did you, cause after taxes and stuff, we get hit hard. Like, did you buy anything yourself? Are you in the market? Are you building your long-term wealth? So it's mm -hmm. definitely happening. And a lot of people are being savvy. And I've had a few of those type of clients that are doing so well in those other ventures that they call me. They're like, Hey, I just want to rent this sweet penthouse because I got my financial stuff figured out. I'm like, all right, let's go do it. Like totally cool. But again, it's this very small percentage of people. And most people that do that still get their principal residence figured out. And Daryl, what you were saying before, because we have a lot of clients that own properties that don't live there and rent them out and rent other places because they're, they're in rent control and it's such cheap rent. It's like, they're actually benefiting hugely from it. Sure. So I think it just depends on your situation, but yeah, like people are savvy and I understand that millennials get a lot of flack. But I think they're creative and they're, big time. They're figuring they are, things out and yeah. they're not going out and, you know, working to, to the older generations. They're not like the ones going out and just putting their head down and working hard. They're trying to be creative and smarter about it. So I a hundred percent agree. I love it. I, I, I have young kids and yeah. Daryl's kids are a little bit older than mine. And we're just kind of like, what's going to happen to them. And I think that by the time they're going to get there, like my son's got a YouTube channel at eight, eight years old, you know, like, Maybe it's not an income producing thing, but in his mind, he's like, that's what it is. He's done two projects at school, both revolving around, you know, Mr. Beast. That was the, the, the like, hey, yeah. this is what, yeah. you know, is, is a YouTuber that I admire. And then he did um, like what, what job and stuff like that would you be when you're older? And he said YouTuber. Like, it's like, yeah, sure. My son like, too. Just, who, who would have thought of that? Right. Like, uh, you know, even five years ago. Listen, I mean, everybody spent the first my son's 14 and he was literally born with a Wii controller in his hand and he's progressed on to, you know, other game consoles and PCs. But I used to get a lot of flack from my parents, my, my in-laws, my wife about how much time he spent playing video games. And now it could be an extraordinarily lucrative career, right? Like he's, he's been our, he's our training. Tech, he's our tech 
advisor for the show. But he's been training for the last decade <laughs> yeah. for a potential, like even if it's a average income in that field, it's better than most doing, you know, normal work these days. But what's, what's really interesting is okay, I, I want to go down another rabbit hole quickly, but we're, we're almost out of time. So, so what's happening with GameStop right now, I think everybody is aware of what's happening with GameStop. When, when these same kids figure out that they can use that genius in the real estate market, that could be a huge mm. disruptor that, that you know, we could not see coming. Because you know, if, they can, if they can cause Wall Street to lose $70 billion in a few days by being brilliant and not really affecting themselves at all financially, imagine what they could do with the real estate market. It's, a, it's called house hacking, and they've already figured it out. Tell me. Well, it's similar things what Tom's saying. The they're, they're, they're renting out a place that they know is going to be caring for more than what they would be spending. Like the one that they own, they're renting out and, and living somewhere else with a cheaper rent saying like, look, here you go. I've just offset my costs. I'm happy where I'm living. I own an asset that is beautiful. It's nice, but I don't really need to live that lifestyle, right? They're buying multi-unit properties and living in part of it. They're doing joint venture projects with their friends. So they're what I uh, borrowing money. It's called house hacking. House hacking. Ooh. I'm on Instagram, Daryl. Daryl's new to Instagram. He just, <laughs> he just he just got on it recently, so he's kind of oh, getting all the stuff. Wait till he finds out about TikTok. I know, there you go. I know TikTok. I can't figure out how to do it though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's cool, man. Like this is, I, I I love it. I think it's amazing, and I'm super excited for the future. I think that there's a ton of um, ideas that are that are going to come out of this, and I think that old ways are going to change my grandparents. You know, I did it no, nowhere close to the way that they did it. And now the young generations, their grandparents who are like, you know, right now the baby boomers, they're not going to do it any way close that they did it. And we're just, we're just going to see how that looks like in, in the next 20 years. Robots. Sorry. I had to throw robots that in there. And aliens. Lots of That's robots. It. All right, Mr. Tom, that was a wonderfully uh, uh, amazing show. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we'd love to have you back. If you would like to come back, that would be amazing. We should have a roundtable with uh, Tom and Jeremiah. I think that'd be a great discussion. But uh, yeah. anyways, thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you again. For sure, yeah. I think you Good are- Good luck out there. I hope uh, you know you get some- deals under your belt there and all those listings up, but uh, they're in good hands. You know, you, you know, right now, if you're not putting together a lot of buyer deals, you're actually a good agent helping your clients. That's it's hard for them to understand that. But if you're an agent watching this, just remember you have to track your behavior, not the result. Um, yep, you treat people exactly. well, you do the right thing. Everything ends up working out. It's, a, it's it just exactly. always happen on your timeline. Very, exactly. And your, very, your clients will always appreciate that. Very impressive young man. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, for anybody that is still watching, thank you very much for staying S around. Subscribe to hour. us too. Don't forget. <laughs> and we will, yeah, we'll definitely post all of Tom's uh, links in the description below. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, everybody. Yeah, we keep forgetting this. The whole like.
New on Curiosity Stream, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.